morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Vestal. My name is Brett, and uh, I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. Uh, that was a, a great song. Um, sin had its hold on us until he, until he rose. Um, let's, let's begin with, with prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for, uh, <clears throat> for sending Jesus down here to die for us. Thank you for the truth of that song that we were, we were stuck until uh, not only Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, but then when he rose to uh, gain victory over sin and death. I, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you that you allow us even to come to church. Uh, why would we come if we didn't have hope like that? Um, so thank you so much for that hope. Thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for the chance we have to come together. Um, I thank you even for the series that we're, that we're studying about open house and looking at your church and talking about um, your church and how you're blessing. And we are so grateful, God, um, for salvation, for <clears throat> Jesus raising from the dead, um, for the body of Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the hope we have within us. Uh, we love you. Um, thank you that it hasn't rained yet. I pray that it wouldn't rain on our picnic. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I wanted to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Okay, Acts 15, that's where we're heading. We're in a series called Open House, and we're looking at some things that God tells us in the Bible about the church. And I wanted to start with a couple of statistics, because I like statistics, and I know that statistics lie and liars use statistics. I heard that one time in a statistics class, but I still like them. And so here's some context. So over the last 10 years at Bridgewater, we have seen God save 705 individuals. Now that number is not accurate because we have three more flowers, and I came up with that number before the three flowers. So 708 individuals have, have given their life to Jesus Christ as a result of Bridgewater Church in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, we have seen 628 people baptized at Bridgewater. Um, our kids' ministry at Bridgewater, context, 10 years ago, our kids' ministry, we were in one campus and we were in the basement of an old building built in 1899, and there was mold down there and it would flood and I would take a pump down and I would pump the water out of the basement and I would take the floor tiles up and I would drape them over chairs and tables so that they would dry. And then Sunday morning, I'd get there really early and I'd put everything back. And we had these, these special, I don't know, air purifiers that were supposed to take the mold spores out of the air. And we would just shove the kids down there three times on Sunday morning. Um, and we had 72 kids 10 years ago in our kids' ministry. And every week at Bridgewater, we have over 300 children in our kids' ministry 10 years later. And 10 years is like a, a drop in the bucket. Like I, I used to think when I was younger that 10 years was a lifetime. Now I'm like, oh, 10 years? That, that means I was 40. That's nothing. <laughs> That's a drop in the bucket. I, I look at those numbers and I think, okay, obviously God is blessing. And the question I'm wrestling with is why? Why, 
Why is God blessing Bridgewater Church? I remember asking a question like this when I was in Poughkeepsie, New York as a pastor. And I, I was wrestling because I didn't feel like he was blessing the church that I was at. But across town, there was another church that was a, a great church. We were both preaching Jesus. We were both studying the Bible. But the church over there was exploding. It was called the chapel. And it was a, a guy who was a, a jailer. He, he, was, he worked in the prison system, and he would preach on Sundays. And they were seeing hundreds of people saved. And I was like, how does this work? Like, why is it that, that God's blessing seems to be certain places? And I've been on both sides of this. And actually, that's one of the questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. One of my questions, how did you determine who you blessed? Even individuals. How did you determine that somebody who was an unskilled worker was going to end up being a multimillionaire and, and someone who was incredibly intelligent ended up not, like, how, even individual blessing, how, how is it that, that this person, I had a friend, his name was Lee, Lee got a chance to share Jesus with everybody. So Lee would show up at a gas station and be pumping his gas, and the person across the way would say, excuse me, yeah, do you know how I can get forgiven for my sins? Like, who does that? And I would work really, really hard to try to have all these conversations. And then I'd hang out with Lee, and he'd be driving through a toll booth, paying, and the the lady in the toll booth would say, excuse me, um, are you a follower of Jesus? Yeah. Do you have a few minutes? Because I have some questions about the... Like, how? It's not fair. So I'm going to ask God, you know, and... And about churches too. How is it that God determines where his blessing lies? Because it, it seems arbitrary, and yet it, it's probably not. Um, so, so today, I, I do want to peel back a little bit. Bridgewater, like, what are we doing to be faithful to what God has said as a church we need to be faithful to? Last week, we looked at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where, where Jesus says, go, go, it's not here in this room, go out. He says, baptize, and then he said, teach people how to obey everything I've commanded, so, so teaching for obedience. Today, we're going to look at a crazy discussion that happened in Acts 15 in the church. The church is about 20 years old at this time in Acts 15, and they have a discussion, a dispute, and they come to a conclusion. And this conclusion is something that drives a lot of what Bridgewater does. It's the why behind the what and the how. And I think it applies to all of us individually too because I think it should be a why in our personal lives also behind how we do what we do. So Acts 15, we're going to begin with verse 1 in Acts 15. Um, Here's what it says. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. And here's what they were teaching them. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute 
and debate with them. So what was happening? So you had some followers of Jesus, okay? This is 20 years after Jesus rose up into heaven, okay? So he's gone 20 years. You have this dispute between followers of Jesus, and there's a group of them that are saying, you can't be a follower of Jesus unless you obey all the customs of the Jewish people first. Follow Jesus, yes, but also you need to be circumcised, and there's a bunch of other rules, okay? Let's keep going. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed among some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So they were going to have a big, a big conference. A bunch of church leaders, probably hundreds, were getting together to have a church conference to try to figure out what do we do with this. The church, verse 3, sent them on their way, and as they traveled through um, Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers glad. So they told about how this, these people who weren't Jewish were following Jesus, and all the church leaders were like, yeah, that's, that's great, that's good news. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done. Verse 5, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Okay, the question is, can somebody be a, for them to deal with? Can somebody be a follower of Jesus and not first become Jewish? The Pharisees were a group of religious people, very religious, followed the Bible to the letter of the law, um, and even more. So the Pharisees, they took the Bible and they said, we need to obey this. But then they had about 4,000 other rules and regulations which defined the Bible. And a lot of Jewish customs that had since been abolished or, or set aside because of what Christ had done. So, an example, the Pharisees took the rule, you know, well, there, there was a law in Scripture that says, do not work, do not bear burdens, but rest on the Sabbath to keep it holy. So what they did is they defined what's a burden. And they decided that a burden, um, you could get milk enough to swallow, and that wouldn't be considered a burden. You could carry a spoon that weighed no more than one fig, and that wouldn't be a burden. So you could do those things and not be in sin. A woman could pick up her child, and that wasn't a burden. However, if you had a wooden leg, you couldn't carry the wooden leg. Now, that's a burden. So if it was attached, it wasn't a burden. But if you carried it, you violated the law of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees were, were not only about the Jewish law, they were about all of these other rules and regulations. And they were saying, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to become Jewish also. And circumcision is a part of that. And that's what Paul and, and uh, Barnabas are saying. I'm not sure that's what we should do. So anyway, after a long discussion, it says in verse 7, look at verse, verse 19. It says, uh, so James then stands up and says, he's the half-brother of Jesus. 
He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He gives a conclusion after much debate and after discussion. Here's what they decide. Verse 19, it is my judgment, James says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Okay, that verse right there. Now, in our church today, in this congregation, body of believers, we certainly are not struggling with if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be careful not to carry a spoon that weighs more than one fig. Like, that certainly is not the discussion we're having. However, the principle here that they decided, which was, James says, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles or, or for, for anybody who is turning to God We should not make it difficult. That has great implications for Bridgewater. So how does that play out at Bridgewater? Well, let me give you some examples. Music is one of those examples. Now, if we were going to have a style of music, um, and we decided we were going to pick one, and we picked polka, there is a segment of the population that loves polka music, okay? My father-in-law is one of them, okay? Loves polka music. Nothing wrong with polka music. Could we honor God with polka music? Probably. Did we choose polka music as the thing we want to lead worship with? No. Classical opera. Okay. There is a segment of the population that loves classical opera. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Thank you, John. Um... However, it's a small segment of the population. God, could we honor God with our... Sure, we could. Um, I'll be vulnerable. All right, I love a cappella music. I, I love the Gaithers. In fact, most of my playlist is Gaither music. Um, I've been to their concert. I really enjoy them. My children smirk at me because I enjoy listening to a cappella, men's a cappella groups just what I love. However, we did not choose that music style for Bridgewater. Why? Because the vast majority of people who were to come into this place to learn about God would find it difficult if we chose polka or if we chose acapella music or, or whatever. It, this verse impacts how we do what we do. And about 15 years ago, we decided we were going to have this style music because we felt like it was, it was the bridge that makes it less difficult for somebody who is not yet a follower of Jesus to come in and learn about Jesus. Um, there's a, a quote that Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren said, he said, uh, he said, we invite the unchurched to come and sit in 17th century chairs, which we call pews, sing 18th century music, which we call hymns, and listen to 19th century instruments called a pipe organ, and we wonder why they think we are out of touch. We do not want to make it difficult for people to come to Jesus. That... That's how it affects music. And the reason we do 
worship with music is because God commands it, but it's to help the greatest number of people praise God, pray to God, learn about him, and love him more. And so we came up with that style. Let's talk about clothing as another one. Clothing. In the 40s and 50s, the vast majority of men wore suits. In fact, I looked at photos this week of Yankees baseball games, and the vast majority of men at the Yankees game were in suits and hats. And the vast majority of ladies, although there were not many at the game, were in dresses. Why? Because everybody was wearing them. They probably came right from work. The vast majority of men were wearing suits. In 2014, 6% of the workforce is required to be in formal suit and tie dress. In 2014. I don't know what the statistic is today, but judging from the... (laughs) The COVID pandemic, I bet, I bet pajamas would be higher <laughs> now that I think about it. But, but anyway, that, that's not bad or good. God is not against suits. I am not against suits. In fact, the, the first ministry I was a part of, I, I was in a suit and tie every single Sunday, and I preached in a suit and tie, and I did student ministries, youth, youth ministry in a suit and tie, because that was what the culture was. However, times have changed, and one of one of the reasons I am wearing jeans and, a, well, a Bridgewater shirt just because I picked it out of my drawer, but um, the, the reason we dress the way we dress is because we do not want to make it difficult for people to follow Jesus. Um, we have all walked into context, I'm sure, where we felt very awkward based on what we were wearing, either too much or too little. Um, I, I remember stopping at a, a, a church I had gone to one of our campuses and I was driving to the other, another campus and I said, hey, I had the family with me. I said, let's stop at this church. I knew the guy who was preaching and he's one of my friends. And um, I said, let's stop. We can encourage him. We can say hi. We hit the lobby and boy, I felt out of place. And I was coming from Bridgewater. I think I was coming from Bridgewater Halstead. I was dressed like this and this way and and I felt very, very awkward. And they were all in suits and ties and dresses, and I was not. And it was like there was a spotlight right on me saying, look at this man. And I don't think anybody there was thinking, we want to make him feel uncomfortable. I don't think they felt that way at all. But I felt that way. And it was good for me to sit through a service feeling that way because I was reminded I don't want anybody ever to feel that way at any of our campuses. Now, I think somebody should wear a suit every week just in case somebody comes in in a suit so they don't feel awkward. In fact, we have one of those in Montrose campus and he wears a suit because he wants to make sure nobody will feel awkward. And he said, if they see that I'm wearing a suit, then they won't feel bad. I thought, good for you. Good for you. Like, that's amazing. But we do not want to make it difficult for someone to turn to God. Um, the, The third area is kids' ministry. 
kids ministry. Um, ch children can be a, a, a barrier. They can make it difficult. Um, I, I remember going, going to church and bringing bribes and treats and other secret things to help my children get through the service. And, and you kind of try to give it to them a little at a time so they can make it. I understand now with a new two-year-old and three-year-old, again, it's too difficult to go out to eat. It's not even fun. The fair, the fair is barely fun. Like we are right there on almost it not being worth it. <laughs> because sometimes church is difficult for, for young families. Well, at Bridgewater, we took this verse in, in Acts 15 and said, we do not want it to be difficult. We want to create a space, and Tina and her team have done a phenomenal job making our kids' ministry an amazing experience for children. Age-appropriate, safe, fun. We have children crying because they have to leave, not crying because they have to come. That's a win. Well, why do we do that? Because we do not want to make it difficult for someone to come to follow Jesus. That's Bridgewater. That's the why behind what we do. Um, Gabiana, she's three, um, one of our, our foster daughters, she, uh, she talks about church all the time. All the time. And gets so excited when we are coming to church. Well, that's a win. Tina is winning. <laughs> because all of a sudden, we've taken a hurdle away from young families and said, oh, no, no, we have an incredible kids' ministry. So you might say, well, how does, what does this have to do with open house? So what, what does this have to do with open house? Well, everything we do on Sunday morning is our front porch. So if you were coming to an open house at Bridgewater, you are looking at our front porch. And our front porch is intentionally geared for guests. So the front porch is where we welcome guests. Our front porch has everything to do with somebody coming in and saying, I want to, why do you do what you do? What's, what's this Bridgewater thing all about? It's why we have guest service people. It's why we have, have greeters saying, welcome, we're so glad you're here. Because we want people to feel comfortable. It's why we have people in the parking lot. Does everybody know how to park? Sure. Does our parking lot hold a lot of cars? Yes. Is it nice to be greeted when you come in and you get out of your car? Yeah, that's why we do it. Um, if you've been to the fair, I'm bringing this up again because I've hit two fairs in the last 10 days. Parking at the fair is, is agonizing for me. It's... Uh, I'm pretty sure, and I apologize to anybody who's a fair parker, I'm pretty sure they find the least friendly people in the world and ask them to park cars at the fair. And then they show their full spirit as they park you. And I never do it right 
and I never pull in far enough, or I'm never far enough close to the car next to me, and I, I, I always fail at parking, and I, I really, really try hard to park right, and it's a terrible experience for me. And I get out of the car thinking, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, that was awful. I hope they're not here when I leave. <laughs> that's, that's the opposite experience. We want somebody who comes to Bridgewater. We want to say, welcome, we're so glad you're here. We want them to be greeted before they come to the front doors. It's why our kids' ministry is prominent at every campus when you walk into the lobby. It's why we have free coffee. Because it's our front porch. It's why we create this space. It's our front porch. We, we want to create something that's irresistible. I, I was thinking about this last night, actually. I told my wife, it's, it's interesting. In America, how houses have been built has changed in the last 20 or 30 years. It used to be every house had an amazing front porch. And in the last 30 years, amazing back decks have become the thing. And amazing front porches have gone away. Have you noticed that? People are now investing heavily in hot tubs and pools and trampolines and back patios, sometimes screened, sometimes air-conditioned, usually with a TV. America is investing greatly in their back patios instead of their front porches. Now that's concerning to me because the back patio is for me. It's for my family. It's not for guests. I think we're becoming a less friendly society. It used to be you built a front porch and you had rocking chairs on the front porch. And, and when people came over, you drank iced tea on the front porch with your neighbors and with your friends. Now, you walk down the street and you hear laughing in the backyard and you wish that you had been invited to the backyard. I think churches have been the same way. I think churches have voted over the last 30 years to invest in their back patios instead of in their front porches. And we have created opportunities for us while forgetting about the irresistible opportunities we want to create for guests. I'm not saying that's why most churches in America are not growing, but I don't think it's helping. And at Bridgewater, we do not want to make it difficult for people who want to turn to God. And so we want to invest heavily in our front porch. We want to do things like meet the neighbor picnics, where we just say, you come. We, we want to get to know you. We want to love on you. We want to let you know about Jesus. It's why we're doing September 19th. It's why we're doing Open House Day, which is what we used to call Best Sunday Ever, where we are going to have a full-blown bring all your friends, invite everybody you know, come, and we're going to have a great church service where we talk about Jesus, and we're going to feed them, and we're going to have games, and we're going to have prizes for the kids, and we're going to have a bouncy house, and we're going to just get to know people who are not just us, but even more people. Why? Because our 
front porch is hugely important. It's where we welcome guests. There's a couple things that I would say about this. Our, our, our Sunday services are not just Sunday services just where they are only an end in themselves. But, but they're designed to make more and better disciples. We want people, if you're very welcomed at Bridgewater Sunday morning worship, because we want to help them take the next step in their spiritual walk. It's more and better disciples. That affects what we create in this space. And two things to think about that. Our, our Sunday morning services are not designed for me. In, in fact, that's a good thing because we would listen to Gaither music all morning. They're not designed for me. You know what? The time slot is not designed for me. I'd come if it was 7 in the morning. I'd come if it was 9 at night. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm committed. I'm surely going to be here whenever. But we choose 10 o'clock specifically because we want it to be a time that is not difficult for people who want to know Jesus. It's not designed for me. I'd even come if there wasn't air conditioning. But some of my friends who are far from God probably wouldn't. Not only is it uh, not designed for me, but Paul realized it wasn't designed for him either. 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, this passage, this is, he says, though, though I am free and belong to no one, I made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so that I will win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that I may share... Oh, the... Um, to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Paul basically is saying, I am a follower of Jesus and I want to reach as many people as I can for Jesus. And if that means, he says in there, if that means I have to become weak so I might win the weak, okay. If that means I have to become strong so I can win the strong, okay. If that means I have to do certain things, and he even says if it means I have to be a vegetarian in order to not offend a certain group of people, fine. I'll be a vegetarian. Doesn't want to make it difficult for people who want to come to God. Well, that's, that's why Bridgewater does most of what we do. Because we have determined that we want to be a ministry that reaches people for Jesus and helps them take their next steps in their spiritual journeys. More and better disciples. And we want to be laser focused. And that starts with our front porch. That starts with our Sunday morning. And most people come for the first time on Sunday morning. Some come through small groups. Some come through student ministries. But most of them at Bridgewater come on Sunday mornings. Most of you came for the very first time on Sunday morning. Um, and I believe God is blessing it. I don't know if you realize this, but the first six months 
of Vestal campus, South Vestal it was called, we averaged 27 people a Sunday. That was our six-month average. That means sometimes we had 19, all right? And, and Bridgewater Vestal is now averaging, the last six months, 150 people. A little over 150. That's a 450% increase. I'm a numbers guy, but even if you're not, that's a good number. Like, that is very positive. Praise God. And it's, it's not because we have the most amazing preachers. It's not because we have the most incredible-looking hosts. Sorry, Dan. It's not because we have, like, it, it's not because of us. It's because God's hand of blessing is on Bridgewater Church. And so we read this and we say, okay, we need to be faithful. Just like last week, we read Matthew 28 and say, okay, we need to be faithful. We need to go, we need to baptize, we need to teach for life change. We read Acts chapter 15 and we say, okay, we need to be careful. Our front porch at Bridgewater needs to be intentionally designed to not make it difficult for people to find God. So, my question is, what about us, individually? Personally, this is what I was wrestling with. Am I investing personally in my back patio, or am I investing in my front porch? Personally. Am I creating opportunities to reach people who are far from Jesus and talk to them in my life? Or am I just finding ways to play in my backyard with my best friends? And I, to be honest, I, it is more fun to play in my backyard with my best friends. It is easiest for me to just hang out with my friends. However, I want to be on mission. We need to be on mission. And I just fear that I just fear that sometimes we're we're investing in our back patio. Yeah, relationally. I, I look over here at Chris and I'm like, ah. He was being a good front porch neighbor and friend enough that Dave could walk across the street and have a spiritual conversation. All right, how am I doing? What am I focused on? I think that's a challenge for all of us. But in our open house series, I would say for Bridgewater, we, we need to be intentional about not being the best kept secret in town. <laughs> this is an amazing group of people. My wife and I say that all the time. We drive back to Pennsylvania talking about you guys and saying, what a great group of people. Ah, that's amazing. But we don't want to be the best kept secret on this road. We don't. We have Jesus. We have something they need. But we shouldn't be the best kept secret in our neighborhood either. At our work, at our jobs, with our relatives, 
I wrote down some application about how to not make it difficult for people to turn to Jesus. And I wrote down, sit near the front. If you want a, you want a personal application, sit near the front. Not in the front row, I realize. That's, we only put the front row there so we can use the second row. All right? If, if we didn't have the front row there, the second row wouldn't even be sat in. So the front row is a buffer. All right? I realize that. But, but sit near the front. People who come in late, who may be their first time at Bridgewater, we set up rows later on for them because it is horrifying uh, uh, story. Three weeks ago, here, three weeks ago, we had a family here for the very first time. They walked in and they found some seats in the second row, but then they were saved, or they thought they were saved, and so they walked out and they came right up here to the front row and sat. I was horrified because I felt so bad that it was their first week at Bridgewater and they were sitting in the front row. Because I don't want to make it difficult. How welcome do they feel? There's not seats for them. They have to come to the front. You know, what were they thinking? And they weren't thinking that. I was going places in my mind, which I can go places in my mind. Um, they happened to have attended my brother's church in Rochester, New York, and he had said, you got to check out Bridgewater. They're great. And so afterwards we talked and like, oh, your brother says hi. He said we need to come to this church. And so I was like, whew. Okay. But I don't want to make it difficult for guests. And, and so we set up rows in the back because we know people, people do come late. I'm not judging because it's hard with little kids to get out of the house. I have a new respect and I'm humbled <laughs> for any of you who come. Like, whoo, it's a chore. Um, and so the fact that anybody gets here, even if they're 15 or 20 minutes late, praise the Lord. I'm just glad you came. That's awesome. Um, but I want to have seats in the back. So one thing I can do is I can sit towards the front. I cannot save seats. Um, when somebody pulls in a row and realizes that there's some, oh, it's just shameful to walk back out and then find another seat. Um, so just don't save seats. Just when, when you come in, then you just find a seat. Um, I wrote that down. Be very friendly. You guys are. You're very friendly. Keep it up. All right? Great job. I, I mean that sincerely. Invite somebody to come to Bridgewater. We don't want to be the best kept secret in town. You know how we solve that? We ask somebody to join us. Tell them about our secret. Invite somebody. That was the last one. <laughs> I can't even think of another one. I see if I'd have been good, I would have said, and da 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 but I got nothing. Um, front porch of Bridgewater. There it is. Based on Acts 15, we do not want to make it difficult for our children, for our children's friends, for adults. We don't want to make it difficult for people to find God. That's why Bridgewater does what we do. It's all about more and better disciples of Jesus. And there are still people out there headed to hell. And we have hope. Let's not grow weary in doing good because the best is yet to come. Um, we are Bridgewater right here. And we need to be making more and better disciples of Jesus.
So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, including Acts 15 in the Bible, for including 1 Corinthians 9 in the Bible, where Paul basically says he's going to do whatever it takes to be salt and light in his community. God, I just pray that you would keep blessing Bridgewater. Keep blessing Bridgewater Vestal. Father, please help us to be your ambassadors, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God to salvation. I, I pray that we would live such good lives that even though they accuse us of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and glorify you on the day you visit us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for, for your hand of blessing. And God, please do not remove it. We don't deserve it. God, I, I, I know we don't deserve your blessing, but we're so grateful for it. Um, thank you. Thank you for where you've brought, brought Vestal to. And I, God, please help us not be the best kept secret in town. Help us to know how we can do a better job of, of infiltrating our communities and, and loving people who are far from you. Thank you for our amazing kids' ministry. Thank you for Tina. Thank you for all those workers that, that serve every month. Thank you for a great band. Thank you for Isaac and his leadership and for a great production team and great guest services and for Lorraine making all the coffee and stuff for us every week. God, for the parking lot people, I, I, I pray that we, would, yeah, that we would never make it difficult for people who want to become a follower of Jesus, even unintentionally. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.